Welcome, welcome, welcome. This is Distraction Pieces Podcast, Episode 5. My name is Scroobius Pip, um, and this week our guest is Sage Francis, which I'm hugely excited about. But before I get to that, I should thank you all for making uh, Distraction Pieces Podcast keep going to number one in the iTunes chart. That's absolutely amazing. This is me and a microphone essentially um, and guests so it's amazing that for such a small a small crew and independent thing that it's battling up there with all these BBC podcasts and absolute a radio podcast and all that kind of thing um, so thank you for that I should also mention our sponsors uh, one of which is Speech Development Records which is m- my label um, I'm on tour with them at the moment so come fuck with us if you're about you can find the tour dates at scroobiuspip.co.uk the headliner of the tour is Mr B Dolan who's got his album coming out next year on the label a lot of you will already know about this guy he's absolutely amazing he's he had a song previewed recently on um on the Joe Rogan podcast another great podcast check it out um, and his support on this tour is War and Peace as, as well as me I'm doing some spoken word and DJing and I'm currently talking very fast so I'm going to calm down and get on to our next sponsor which is Onit um, Onit is a human optimization website and they sell kettlebells and battle ropes and all this good exercise stuff including I use shroom tech sometimes it's kind of a nice one that kind of helps you get the most out of your exercise um but they also sell uh nootropics or nootropics i'm never sure of pronunciation um i probably should take some more uh, i I, ta- I use one every now and then called alpha brain um and i described this previously as it kind of feels like it's switching all the lights on it, it, it goes around and switch all the, all the lights on in your in your brain i used it when i had to learn um a song backwards we did a video for a song of mine and Daniel Sachs called You Will See Me and I had to learn the second verse backwards and I, I was taken out for brain at that point and I feel it helped. Um, but if you're sceptical, that's completely appropriate. You should be sceptical of everything, question everything. But on their website, they've got a lot of information, um, tests, uh, blind tests, all sorts of things like that so you can make your own decision up before buying anything but if you choose to buy you can get 10% off simply for being a listener of this podcast god damn it go to onit.com slash scroobius pip o-n-n-i-t.com slash scroobius pip um if you buy from there you'll get 10% off and you'll also help to fund the podcast our final sponsor is redshift rebels they are a clothing company they started off making caps a lot of you will have seen in my music videos and live over the years i've worn a lot of trucker caps so generally always their redshift rebel caps um they decided when starting off the company that they would that the 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 money that big companies put into advertising is kind of gross um so they decided to not put money into advertising instead spend it on on bands and artists and putting on club nights and gigs and putting out mixtapes for bands or eps things like that um so yeah they're great check them out um a a lot of people may wonder it occurred to me on last week's one after i recorded the intro that um i'm you you're you're probably thinking oh they don't spend money on advertising and they think advertising is kind of gross yet you're currently doing an advert for them right now i would explain that this advert um i'm giving them a few of these advertising spaces for free because Early on in my career, they put out um, an EP for me um, and supported me on this tour I did. They, they've they generally helped out over the years. I've, they've had me on at their nights and promoted me and been supportive in general. So this is kind of a a pay it back, pay it forward type affair. So that's Redshift Rebels. And if you want 25% off of their stuff for listening to this podcast, go to their website and anything you order, you can get 25% off if you enter the code free cheese. Um, that's a reference to one of my lyrics. But on to this week's podcast, it's Mr. Sage Francis, who is a legend of independent hip hop. Um, it was great to 
to chat with him. We we were on tour together. Um, I was just doing his merch on his tour, in fact, and we had a day off and we recorded this in my hotel room. Um, so it's, it was incredibly relaxed and nice to get a chance to sit and chat with this guy. Um, he's someone that's r- really influenced me as, as an artist and a writer. I remember going to see his first or some of his first UK gigs in like 2000, 2001, I think. And sitting there and thinking or not only thinking I like this thinking I would like to do this um for my job and it was a huge inspiration to me and then obviously years down the line he released my album my albums with Dan Lassac and my my solo albums all in America and then I've just released his album Copper Gone in the UK so yeah even if you don't know any of that it's a fascinating chat so I hope you enjoy it this is Distraction Pieces podcast number five Sage Francis. This piece of fiction is the intro to the structure. This piece of fiction is the This piece of fiction is the intro to the structure. One, two, one, two. Can check, I check your levels? Check a one, one. You're sounding wonderful. Um, so there we go. We've started. I'm here with Mr. Sage Francis. How you doing, sir? Cool. I'm in room number four. We're chilling in my hotel room. We're on tour at the moment, and I've just invited you into my room on the night off to talk into a microphone. There it is. Cardiff in the house. You're literally laying on my bed. I've chosen the side bed to, <laughs> to lay on, so it's not too too oh, comedy you got couple. The doubles. You, you got the double room. I did I, all right. The lady was... We came. This isn't a hotel. That's my problem. With, it's, a, it's a bed and breakfast. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So I come in here. We lugged our lug. You know, like uh, we dragged our luggage. You know, our the luggage we have for our full world tour. Yeah. We finally make our way into here, and she starts going on a spiel about everything I don't care about. And I, like she just kept going she's and going. Got a big I'm, routine, isn't she? I, yeah, I, when I checked in, she was telling me about a phone that's got f- four yeah, phone numbers yeah. programmed in, and a guy that had a heart attack once. And <laughs> I wanted to. I, I really didn't want to be rude, but I was like, "Excuse me, but I have to use a bathroom." So, like, usually when I come in, I just check in and get to my room. It's like we do this every night. I don't need a like song yeah. and dance to go along with my. I've stayed, I've stayed places before. <laughs> yeah, yes. I actually live in a house. If you'll believe that. <laughs> That was literally it. She's like, here's, here's the bathroom, here's the light switches. So, like, oh, cool. Well, the good thing is she showed me how to use the, the, the shower, which is com- it's a, it's a complicated system, and I don't know why. Like, f- flick a switch outside yeah, of the first room. first you flick a switch outside the bathroom, you wait 10 seconds, then you push a power button on the shower. I don't know. Every every time we go to a new hotel, it's it's like... It tests my IQ. I have to figure out what the system is to make this water come out of the fucking spigot. Yeah. Yeah. It, it felt like the whole introduction at the beginning, it felt like it was truly testing our choice to look kind of like homeless people because she <laughs> did seem to think we'd not lived indoors before. So yeah. it's kind of nice. But yeah, well, well, we're in and, you know, I've sabotaged the internet so that neither of us can do any work so you have to come and sit here oh you're the one you sucked up all the internet (laughs) i'm trying to check one email and it won't open it's no good it's no good but um yeah yeah, when we're done i'm gonna go downstairs if you want to like try to like reset the system yeah because we're here by ourselves there's no like people inside yeah we've got the house it's the weirdest b&b in that there isn't anyone who actually lives here so they literally kind of said here's all the rules (laughs) If you need us, like, there's literally a red phone to ring the, like the bat phone if we need any help. 
Commissioner Gordon and shit. Um, but yeah, we probably shouldn't spend the whole hour or so talking about our hotel. Uh, oh, but it's all that's on my mind. Like I don't think. <laughs> like I was like, we're gonna do a podcast, but it's hotel time, really. So yeah, okay, yeah. Well, let's move on. But we'll probably return back to this. We will get back to cycle hotel back time. To um, but yeah, we are. You're in the middle of an incredibly long tour. Um, so that's one of the reasons that the hotels are, are primary. People have a misconception of touring artists and touring bands. They don't realise that the main thing is Wi-Fi, yeah. how good the shower is, yeah. how good the bed is. I don't care. I don't even care about the shower or bed. <laughs> I, you know, I hardly use either of those things, yeah. but Wi-Fi is a priority at this point. And I remember touring at a time when um, I had to connect. The only reason I had an AOL account was because you could call a local hub that yeah. would get you onto the internet so you would use the dial up. Oh that's insane. AOL yeah. was that that's why AOL got so huge because you could you could get on the internet anywhere as long as there was a local number to call. Yeah. So when I toured early on, I'd have to like rig the system where I would plug my laptop into the telephone, dial the local number, <laughs> then go and then get online and um yeah, so I mean, I can't complain too much because then technology progressed, right? And now right. you can't can't get online at all. It's well, awesome. the thing back then was <laughs> there was no expectation to get online, yeah, and now yeah. it is because I know like so many, especially travelers. If you're yeah. staying in a hotel, you're traveling, and you rely a lot on access to the internet to get the information. Particularly you when you're touring and you're from an, another country, right? Because because obviously you're on the road for three months here in different countries, you can't have your. 3G or four or whatever because yeah. the, the 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 charges are insane right. or you or they don't work or yeah, can't I'm go through. I'm Sans so. phone right now, which yeah. is great. Like I'm okay with that, except I, when I need to check my emails and stuff. So I th- and I also to think that it affects today, my I moods. had to knock on your door. <laughs> yeah. what, 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 I don't know. Like, in the early nineties, this is the crazy. Flintstones. What is this? The Flintstones. <laughs> Don't knock on my door. It's like, hey, man. <laughs> it's outrageous. <laughs> Old school shit. Um, but yeah, so how how do you find... I mean, this is an inc- incredibly long tour. I know a little while back you kind of st- stopped touring because you were sick of it. Yeah. What kind of made you decide to then do... To come back with an impossibly long tour? Like, rather <laughs> than ease yourself in and go, right. Yeah. I, at, at that point, I'm not a fan of touring, but now... That's my life for three months, four months. Yeah, close to four months. Yeah. Um, I kind of did ease my way in. I, I was accepting a few shows here and there. Yeah. I was doing like three shows in a row just to start getting into the groove. But four years ago was the last world tour. And then even before that started, I, I, I told myself it would be the last one. I, it had been 10 years straight that I've been touring. I felt burned out, which I already feel now. Yeah, but yeah. Um, I felt burned out on all levels. And I I couldn't help but wonder what I was missing out on in other aspects of my life. Because yeah. when you when you cater so much to the road, you lose a lot of time doing yeah. that. It's not yeah, just – you're not just doing shows. You're doing a lot of traveling. You're doing a lot of um, – just small talk and, and it's not stuff that that caters to a creative spirit it's mm-hmm. you're you're a machine at that point you yeah. have to perform this material entertain the crowd and stay safe stay healthy as much as possible and get to the next gig yeah. and that's all it is and you i even i find myself wishing i had even one or two hours just to myself to complete silence so i can like maybe channel some some energy into a song or writing or whatever, yeah. but it's, it's like the only time I get to do that is if we're on a plane and like, 
I got my notebook out, and yeah. then I, but I can't even do anything too serious. I can just start jotting down ideas, but I can't really get in and 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 to the to the yeah. material. It's, it's kind of it's it's a weird thing that, as you said, it becomes all encompassing. So, um, even when you're not on tour, it's kind of your life is affected by a tour. If you know, what I mean, I've yeah. I've, I've I've found um, like when I was doing my first big tours, I'd come home and. Um, and my girlfriend at the time, obviously I'd been away for several months, would be obviously wanting to see me. And I'd obviously want to see her. But then there'd also be, as you said, you'd want just some hours of silence with yeah. no other people, which is hard to communicate to people. Like yeah. if you've been away and haven't seen your friends or family, That's the other thing, it's hard it? to communicate that I've missed you, but I don't want to see anyone for like a week because right. I've spent all this time either with in a van with people or with one promoter. And then again, it's nice, both of us, I think, are you were one of the first acts I saw doing your own merch booth and things like that. So both of us spend give a lot every night with to the fans and to everyone. So to then uh, when you do get away from that, you kind of there's a tendency to want to lock yourself away a little. And that's what I did, and I did it for four years. Um, yeah. I I locked myself away. Um, I did accept shows from time to time that kept the money coming in. Mm. And I, you know, I also didn't want to totally fall off the radar. Yeah. I, you know, I want to still play key markets and I'm, I wasn't quitting music, but when you tour for as long as I had, and you go through as many long term relationships as I had yeah. and you realize the effect of the tour on the relationship, then you're not sure, wait, was it, was it me? paying too much attention, uh, paying too much attention to the career that messed the relationship up or, or was the relationship just, was it doomed from the start? Yeah. It's like impossible to tell, but you start Completely wondering a lot about sale. that later on and you're, you look back and you're like one, two, three, four relationships yeah. down. What the hell? It was like two years, three years with this person. And it's so hard to gauge though. Cause two, three years with someone for a tour in person, yeah. like you then realize probably the first year was, effectively for a normal relationship fourth or fifth date because you're on the road you know you're communicating but it's that weird so then yeah yeah, it's really hard to gauge if did we just get to know each other and it wasn't a fit or did it you know could it never fit because of my lifestyle so i those ideas and those those curiosities i think started eating away at me and um i was like i'm going to cater to this home life thing i really want to see what what life is like outside of touring as an adult because my whole adult life it was on the road of course and um and then, and that, and that led you to book your biggest tour in ages. Eventually, <laughs> eventually, it did because then is this is boring. I don't like this. Shit. Yeah, I had nothing going for me. My girlfriend left, and it was it was the, well the girl my girlfriend at the time we had been together for six years, but right. I think the last two I almost knew it was like over. Yeah, she had went back to school. She was getting her degree. She was going to move to New York. I had no inclination of moving to New York City. I had already tried that. When I was 19 years old, and, yeah. you know, I tried again, like when I was 23 or 22, but that I have my home, I have my business, I have my cats. Yeah. Like, like I stayed in my house, I worked on my music, I, and more, more so I actually worked on the record label because Strange yeah. Famous Records just became such a, a, a highly... Um, needy business where I had yeah. to, we have such a small staff that we all carry, we all wear a lot of hats. So we have to do yeah. so much as an independent label where you're like, we're not bringing enough money to hire 20 people or even 10 people. Yeah. So the few people who work for us do it 
a lot on passion and belief in, yeah. in what we do and, and hard work and, and we develop our skill sets as we go and we figure it out as we go. Cause the industry just changes at such a rapid pace, yeah. Yeah. you know, like next year it's, it's, we might be dedicating our energy and, and skills to different things than we are now. It doesn't even exist now mm. just the way it, it can all change. Yeah. I think a lot of people don't realize, um, your incredibly hand or how hands-on you are with strange famous even the thing that i found uh, interesting was particularly with a lot of the artists how uh, i remember speaking to prolific and him talking about how much you'd kind of guided him and helped him out and obviously dolan the two of you have been through a hell of a lot together so not even it's interesting that it's not even just on an administration kind of side of it it's on the there's Literally artist development, everything. there's album development, yeah. there's show promoting, there's show bookings. You yeah. know, like I almost act as a manager to a lot of the artists and for, well, not everybody, but it's different from artist to artist. For Prolific, I actually dedicated, had to dedicate a lot more of my time to his project than I would to someone like B yeah. on his new project where yeah. he's just handling it pretty much yeah, all of yeah. himself. He'll send me a song from time to time, be like, check it out. But like, I'm not deeply involved in, in the whole process yeah, of this yeah, record. Yeah. I was more so on the failure, which was the first record. Yeah, yeah. But then he, he, he moved on from there. He started doing his own thing. And, um, my input, which I'm happy about. And I wish every artist was like this, like yeah. take it or leave it. Yeah. That's I, I'm like, I have to give you my input. It's yeah, just yeah, like, yeah, there's yeah, no yeah, way yeah. I can't do. I'm, I'm neurotic. Like when I listen to your album, I'm going to hear every flaw. I'm going to yeah. hear every great part. Yeah. And I'm going to tell you what I think is, is needed. You already know what's dope. Like you think the whole thing is dope. So let me pick apart some things yeah, that might need more help. That offends certain artists. Yeah. <laughs> and, I, and it offends me too. Sometimes when people do it to me. So yeah. that's the benefit I think of being, an artist and uh running a label is you know you know you operate on both sides of the coin you you really yeah i try to be cognizant of that when i deal with the artist but i mean it's important i think to 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 be able to be that honest i think is it's it's hard to hear at times but it's, it's important um as long as it's at the right time i've i've had people before give me great advice and breakdowns after an album is clearly finished yeah. and out. It's like, do I don't that. need to hear that now. But I don't do that. I don't need you to tell me what's yeah. wrong with it after yeah. the fact. But if it's at the development right. stage, then that makes less... I will, like, I'm glad you brought that up because when someone pre- presents me a project, my first question is, where are you at in this process? Yeah. yeah. If it's done... I, it's aut- almost automatically like, good job. Cool. Yeah. Cool. Good yeah. Work. Like, I'm not going to yeah. tell you, I'm not going to give you constructive criticism because that's offensive at yeah. that point. <laughs> you there's really, no, there's no need at that point. Yeah. And if you're an artist who wants to work with strange famous and you're sending me demos, that's the point where I can, I can criticize if I see the potential in this actually being something we should invest in. Yeah. Um, and not when I say invest, I don't just mean us putting our money into it, but when we pick up a project, all of our time and energy goes into it so yeah. that other things are neglected. You're put in place of other things. And, and that puts, priority on you and you have to understand that we're trying to help yeah you know and i say this now i I think it's it's kind of moot because we're not interested in signing any any other artists (laughs) i think we like we've worked with enough artists i'm happy to continue to work with them hey if a new artist comes around and they're like incredible they blow me away and they show me that they understand how things work and you know they're willing to work hard and and dedicate themselves all right yeah i'll i'll make a concession there but i'm not trying to develop any new artists 
I feel like a good point now in, as you said, in the way the industry's changing, but from an artist development point of view, what you were saying there about Dolan, the fact that you've done the development part of it and now you've got artists, hopefully, that can just go and do their thing and they know what they want and then they've got the support of the label and the and the and the the, the credibility that, that Strange Famous brings and everything that, and the a family of it all. But yeah, it's well, not for B. Dolan, for B. Dolan, he had so much stuff. The important things worked out that yeah. a lot of artists don't. Yeah. The writing is always incredible. Yeah, yeah, you yeah. know his his delivery is incredible. Yeah. But there was other aspects of the industry he wasn't aware of, and he's still. I'm still learning them. Yeah, you know, yeah, we're, yeah, and the good thing with me and him is we had worked together so much through the years. We've learned a lot of this stuff together. Yeah, awesome. But I still have history on him. I'm still like, yeah, you know, I still yeah, get a little, yeah, a few yeah. years of experience. And yeah. I always like reflect back on the on the good old days to beat Dolan. I'm like, oh man, man, if you did that back then, yeah, because <laughs> it got it? so much harder, got more more difficult. You guys both came up, yeah, it, like after the peak of how much support we were getting as right. independent yeah, artists yeah, before yeah, yeah. major labels and the bigger companies kind of put a stranglehold on the channels that we use in order to access yeah, fans. Completely, yeah. Um, so, so how was it? Starting off Strange Famous, I, I kind of assume it was initially a vessel for your own music and that's right. that. So so how was, what was, what made you decide to go that route rather than trying to, or did you try and go with other labels or did you feel the right way to do it was independent and then the mixtapes develop into, oh I, shit, I was kind of I was kind of left with no option. Um yeah. No one was trying to sign the the weird white kid from Rhode Island who yeah, talked yeah. about bizarre shit. And not that it was bizarre, but just not, it was atypical as far as hip hop content is concerned. Yeah. Um, and I was, you know, from a non-urban area. I wasn't representing the streets. I wasn't yeah, coming yeah. out there. Like I wasn't trying to be anything that I wasn't in order to gain exposure or get signed by a label. I did hope for a long time that someone who understood the industry understood the business would come along and and help me in those regards rather than me learning every every single thing the hard way yeah in retrospect i think that was important for who i am right now i was gonna say do you think you would be seven eight albums deep if you hadn't had to learn it all yourself and do it yeah i mean who knows i may have there's no way of saying I, yeah. I could have burned out early on. I could have gotten spoiled early on, yeah. but as I had to work so hard each step of the way where I'm like, I can't give up now. Yeah. I've, I've, I've done this. I've already, you know, I've already suffered through that part of it. I understand how this works. And then once I said, okay, well let's go back a little bit in 96. I, I came across the hardcore scene friends of mine in, in the college that I was attending were punk kids and hardcore kids. And I was strictly hip hop. I mean, you don't listen to any other, you, you, you pick your genre and you stick to it. That's what it was like when I was coming up, because if if you listen to anything else, you were betraying hip hop or you were betraying metal. If you were a metalhead, you just listened to your one style of music. Well, in 96, I kind of, I went through a big transitional period and, um, I kind of, I just started being open to everything. Mm. I, almost reluctantly though, because they, they took me to hardcore shows cause they were my friends and I went cause they were my friends and I didn't love the music. Yeah. I didn't really understand what I was seeing, yeah. but when I saw that these bands were self-sufficient 
their scene was self-sufficient. They were putting out their own tapes. They were making tapes. They were, they had zines. Yeah. They had the magazines yeah, that they yeah, printed yeah. themselves and it just was a self-supporting scene. And yeah. I, I had never seen that because my exposure and my experience with music was, I mean, all these hip hop groups I listened to were on bigger labels that, you know, yeah. like all Run DMC and Public Enemy yeah. and yeah. DJ Jazzy Jeff and the Fresh yeah. Prince, EPMD, all the groups that came out. That's why it was a collective experience. We all knew the same groups that came out because they had that big distro. And, yeah, of course. You know, we... If, if, they all kind of... It, it all seemed to go from conception to being huge, huge. on the big labels yeah. in, in one go. So it right. wasn't like a lot of the other, like Hardcore, whatever, that maybe maybe earlier on had had its peak and was now standing on its own two feet. So, yeah, yeah it was kind of... So... That opened my mind, and I was like, "Why? How? No one's going to put out my music. No one's going to yeah. sign me. I, I need to, because it's well for many reasons, but I need to put out my own stuff. So then I, I had to start figuring out how to get my music out there. And hell, right away, I, I just started recording demos on a four track over other people's instrumentals, yeah. and maybe one that I made myself. But I would sell those at hardcore shows, yeah, That's and awesome. I would get on stage at hardcore shows, and I was. I was doing battles earlier than that because on my DVD, you'll see in the beginning, it's actually like me at a battle and, yeah. and it was more of a talent contest, but I had been rhyming on stage since I was 12. And now at this point, I'd already felt like forever because 12, when in 96, what was I 20? So eight years of me yeah, already like crazy. being involved on, yeah, you yeah. know, and not, and figuring nothing's ever going to happen. Like, yeah. I already felt like I was the best I'd ever be if no one was going to sign me. F fuck it. But now I'm going to have to put out my own stuff. Yeah. So I did that. I tinkered with it. Then a couple years later, I started doing um, college radio stuff that gave me the opportunity to actually record myself on the air. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> so yeah, 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 doing yeah. the freestyles and doing verses on the yeah. radio and collecting all these recordings and working with people who were at the radio station. Um, and, and really not so many people were doing beats at the time, not for me yeah, and not in Rhode Island. That's so great resource that we, I mean, we didn't really have much of a, a college radio thing over here. So oh, really in, in, yeah. in this, in, even just in the sense of technically you're getting Free recording st studio time. Yeah, like, just but you have to do it live it from that point of view. Yeah, you've well, got you have to nail do it, it live. One, you've <laughs> got to hit it once. But um, and the other thing that people might not realize is that back then, because nowadays technology has just exploded, and and you, anyone can make beats. Yeah, but back then it was almost a mystery how beats get made. Like, how do you sample this stuff? How do you? How are they organizing all this? Yeah. What, like, because I bought. I bought an, an Akai S50 because it's the only sampler I could find. It was in a thrift shop in yeah. Providence and it didn't have a sequencer on it. So I had to manually like Play. trigger all the samples yeah. and they never, you know, they would never remember yeah. what I wanted. I just had to keep doing it manually every time I Damn. did a beat. So I would put it to tape that way, but it perplexed me. I just had no idea. So this is just. It was so important to the indie movement in hip hop when technology picked up with yeah. our needs. Since I mean, I think it needs to be stressed as well that this was at a point where you couldn't just go and Google how to use these things or right. go on YouTube. How to, like, you couldn't say, oh, how do I put out a record, which you kind of can now and things like yeah. that. So, yeah, literally completely having to be trial and error. 
yeah teach yourself i guess or find someone that you can talk to about this that came, and that came with the strengths and weaknesses the strength yeah. was that the people who were dedicated enough would figure it out yeah it, because it wasn't an easy solution it wasn't an easy yeah, answer sure. you had to sh- you had to prove yourself so if you were someone who came out with your songs on vinyl like that was super official like yeah. you you passed you you ran through the two <laughs> i don't know like a never ending story when you run through yeah, yeah, yeah. the rocks that yeah. shoot lasers yeah. at you you pass the test yeah um i guess it also kind of shows that they they regardless of how good it is when you listen to it there's a level of respect that they've got to do that they've they've right. they've done what's needed to get it on 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 vinyl and to yeah. get it there and now it's a more of a novelty i know people listen to vinyl yeah kind of in a retro way yeah, or yeah, you, yeah. you love like you love the root uh, ritual of it which i yeah. totally respect because i like that too yeah, yeah. but back then it, it was actually the prime form of playing hip-hop yeah. was on vinyl and that's when we press things like instrumentals to vinyl which yeah. you couldn't get anywhere else or acapellas so people could do remixes those would go on the 12 inch vinyl yeah. and I had a couple vinyls. I had a lot of freestyles recorded. I had live uh, performances recorded. I had stuff I recorded in my house and no way of like, I built a fan base through the radio station, just, Mm -hmm. you know, self-promoting like crazy. Yeah. Um, the battle scene, I was winning a lot of battles in Providence. I was building up my reputation as a battle MC. And at the same time as a, as a slam poet, Yep. which was brand new at the time. And it was inspiring to me just to be exposed to content that you wouldn't hear in hip hop songs. Yeah. That was crazy to me. Cause I was like, I had, it was like I said before, all hip hop all the time. So it was always the same kind of materials, either braggadocious, yeah, it was yeah, Afrocentric, yeah. you know, it was, it was black power, public enemy, Paris. Yeah. Um, and X clan. It was, it was, and I loved it, but there was other kinds of content out there that I had neglected in my own writing because I was influenced and inspired by that. So to be opened up to this whole new world where I realized, wow, in hip hop, there's a, there's a field that's totally open to explore and play with as far as lyrics and content goes. And eventually, well, at first I, I kept, I lived a double life. I lived as the, the, the spoken word guy and as the rap guy i didn't combine the two yeah yeah i was was, was gonna say again particularly with how things were then it's mind-blowing to see the how many angles you were hitting it from so a lot of people would just be hitting the radio and others would just be hitting the the freestyle contests yeah yeah and some still do that word and kind of so to be hitting it from every angle has got to be something that 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 is responsible for Eventually, yeah. Eventually, how it all culminated, and and how I originally, how I eventually found a voice that was unique to me, and it offended purists and traditionalists of hip hop, and same with the spoken word crowd with the push, like. I didn't have my scene. I had no scene. I was. I I wanted to be accepted in any of them, and I involved myself in all of them. And I pushed hard and I felt like I was, I was hitting on all cylinders and I felt like I was fucking these things up either way. Right. Not fucking, not in a bad way, but I was like doing well. Like yeah. 
I have a competitive nature. I, I, and that's what hip drew me to hip hop, drew me into hip hop part of it. So that's why I like battles, but that I knew it was limited and just winning and, and people saying you win, you're the man. Like that stopped being interesting to me. It's over at that point. (laughs) Yeah. Like one is like, all right, is that cool? So, all right. So I have all this stuff going for me. Whoopie do. I'm not living off my music. I'm yeah. still serving ice cream at Ben and Jerry's. I have yeah. a, actually have a college degree at this point uh, in journalism, which yeah. I have no interest in pursuing because I don't okay. want to write dry copy for the local newspaper. Yeah. Um, so I'm thinking here I am. I got all these recordings, stuff that I think people would really like to hear. I have no one to put them out. And, 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 MCs didn't put out mixtapes at this time. That right. was not a thing. That was right. another thing that I just did it. I put these recordings all onto tape, a 90 minute tape, or it might've been longer than that. It might've been one of the 120 minute tapes, yeah. but um, <laughs> I put a picture of me with the, the handlebar mustache and I looked, you know, like a hillbilly kind of. Yeah. And again, at the time, white hip hop kids did not do that. That was, that was, you tried to push that as far away from your image as possible. But I liked the fact that I was like, here's how stupid I look. (laughs) I'm probably stupid in real life, but I'm going to fuck you up with these songs and and my styles. It's got to be a great thing to, to, to know you've got that, that, um, that you can turn up and people be, looking at you and thinking you're not you know laughing at you almost but then you're going in there and and winning scribble jam or or, or whatever just kind of i mean that that was helpful that was was some art of worship underestimating their enemy surprise element will win every time so yeah yeah, yeah. i benefited from that once i once i I became known for that i couldn't pull that anymore i'm like all right i'm done with battles then i can you know i can't do my like I can't Sneak do in. that. Yeah. Now you know too much about me. It's yeah. just not fun for me. Yeah. You call me, you know, bad names. I'll cry on stage. <laughs> um, so I, I put out that tape, which was like it's kind of an album. It was just so much stuff on it. And there wasn't, there was, it wasn't an official album, but it was like all my songs. It was yeah. all my cool, like good recordings. So. I needed to have that so that people could support me when they saw me perform because yeah. I had nothing else to give them. That actually was the inspiration for me putting together the first mixtape, which was sick of sick of waiting. Yeah. So I would do a show. Oh, and I was working with a band at the time when I had a band called Artificial Intelligence because yeah. I wasn't getting beats from anybody. So I, we had to put yeah. together a band. And yeah, yeah, yeah. Thankfully, like there was there was people who played instruments at the school I went to who were like, hey, I really like what you did on the radio. Want to try something out with the live band? Yeah. You know, and that was like huge um, for me to start recording in a studio for the first time. Yeah, 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 definitely. And playing bigger shows like in official venues for the first time. And um, I think a lot of people, I don't realize the, 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 how key it is, as you were saying, of having something to sell to people, to give to people, to get them to, right. to really engage. Cause you can smash the best show ever, but the next day that person can go to work and have a shitty day and forget you in an instance, you know, there, there's everything else in their, their lives to make them forget that moment. Whereas if they've got that physical thing to play and remember and bring them back to that night when they enjoyed it, then it makes a world of difference. And so many bands 
still don't seem to get that. Yeah, this is something I've tried to drill into all of our artists' heads or anyone yeah. I care about, any artist who I believe in. Yeah. Make sure you give people the opportunity to support you. Yeah. It's not just a handshake. It's not just a hug. Make sure you have your product available. Yeah. They will purchase it. They want to purchase it. And don't neglect them of that. Um, for me to have those tapes and after the first couple of shows, I realized I couldn't make enough. I could not make enough tapes for them. The, yeah. the, the demand was higher than the supply. So I had to like figure out tricks to get as much done as possible with the tapes. Cause I was doing everything myself. I was photocopying the stupid covers and <laughs> cutting them and folding them and, and writing on all the tapes. And you could only make about 10 or 15 of those. Yeah. Every but then couple there's days. a limit of what you can charge. Cause yeah, you know, cause actually That's actual a, man yeah, hours, yeah. they're I, getting a deal there. Cause there's the recording and there's the yeah. actual making, but yeah. And there's, I can also remember there was a time where I was selling my, um, one CDs started to happen, the CDR technology. Yeah. It would take about 10 minutes to burn a, um, a CD. Yeah. So I would sit in the production room all night long and just 10 minutes go by, 10 minutes go by. Oops, this one had an error. Uh, you yeah. know, it was like, so it would take about, man, I don't know. I don't know how many I'd be able to do, maybe 50 a night. Yeah. And sell out of those, but to the point where I was able to make enough money where I could have actual CDs manufactured. Yeah. That's when, and this is when I came upon the concept, spend money to make money. Yeah. Because right up until then, it was always spend as little money as possible and see what you, you know, see what you can do with it. Yeah. Because I never had, I never had like a a thousand dollar surplus. I didn't have, I didn't have like, I remember my girlfriend at the time. She had $5,000 in her bank. And I was like, when I found that out, I was like, what the fuck? How, <laughs> how do you have so much money? Like, how, how have you not like bankrolled my, my career? Yeah. yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Like, this is, I could be selling a lot more if I had access to money. And, but I never reached out to people like that. Like she wasn't my Kickstarter. I had, yeah. to, I had to make my own money through my own Earn sales. Those small amounts to then yeah. make the next one. And it's, it's interesting because, I've recently been a victim of the trials of independent um, music making because I'd say I have a late night. No, I guess early 2000s. I saw you, I think it was the first time I saw you in, in London and I bought a CD off you, but you hadn't had the sleeves made yet. So it was just the CD. I think I'm not sure which one. I think it was Unknown Sold. I'm not yeah, sure. Yeah, um, it was. So it was, there weren't any sleeves. And I, 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 I loved it. But it had artwork printed on the CD, right? It had artwork printed on the CD, yeah. But um, So I played a track off of that on my radio show, which only ended recently, and initially accredited it as Sage Francis, but you had a track on there by someone else, um, the, the How to Write a Political Poem. Oh, yeah, yeah. So yeah. I'd always thought that that was you, and I'm literally on my radio show being... Mr. Hip Hop Aficionado, <laughs> personally know Sage, going, this is a great one from Sage. And then someone tweets in right. going, you know that's not Sage, right? I was like, so I, had to, I literally apologize. But it's, again, it's because, first, it's because the person, at the time but, I'd bought yeah. just the CD. And yeah. that's kind of, but that, that was, that's exciting to people. I always remember on one of the tours with Dolan, he sold out of his official album and kind of just, he literally put together a mixtape of, demos and stuff and would hand write on each cd yeah and they sold 
twice as fast as the album that has put so much blood and sweat and tears into it because it was like wow it's this handwritten thing that yeah. you know he's burnt out I of would his think actual that, computer yeah I would think that those would be um uh have a higher demand because yeah. he has your blood sweat and tears and yeah. thing but yeah. I can remember there was a time where I I was selling my self-made CDs um I don't know if it was at a show or just on the street but like a girl was like, how much are they? I was like, $10. She was like, $10? You made these yourself. Like, upset. Like, exactly. how can you charge that much? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's what I said. I said, exactly. I made this That's myself. And guess what? It's $10 10 years ago, 20 years ago, and 20 years from now. It's always the same fucking price. Inflation is not, like, part of our That's whole amazing. scheme. It's always $10. <laughs> yeah. That's the fee. So, I swear to the- well, not I- here, because we're selling these... We're selling these... For what, 15? Or are uh, we no, doing we're doing 10 the CDs pounds? for 10 pounds. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. So same it's thing. Kind of still the same thing. It's that same price point. <laughs> Just don't go somewhere that's got a terrible c- a currency and you end up selling it for 10 when that's like yeah. a few pennies. Um, so. Uh, I just want to just a, a, a rewind slightly. What do you think it was that, that motivated you to write albums despite the fact that you were a, a winning a lot of credible tournaments and, and, and battle contests? Because um, I think a, a lot of, of, of battle rappers get lost in battles or, you know, or have have no desire to make albums. But you, you are one of the few that I knew of that kind of time that made, that went there and won these these battles but then actually was an album writer and put out solid complete albums rather than just here's here's some of my battles or his yeah well because for me the battle thing was a detour in fact i had already been done with the whole battle thing and then scribble jam came onto my radar it was like the biggest thing happening but it was in cincinnati i I didn't really know much about it again we didn't there was no youtube or anything you didn't know much you just heard legends and i was like all right shit I think it'd been at least a year since I stopped battling heavy in Providence and I, my chops were not really up to par. Yeah. I didn't go in there expecting to win. I I just went down there. I wanted to experience the whole thing and, and kind of as a put on, that's why I went in there as all Zan had the the heavy metal outfit. Yeah. And I was like, all right, these guys are going to call me vanilla ice that I tell me I skateboard, you know, the same old thing you always hear at battles at that time. And, and I kind of had my way with some of the, you know, like I made my way. There was 99, at least 99 entries uh, in, into the battle. Yeah. So it took forever. And yeah. and by the time it got to the finals, almost all of the crowd had left because it was such a long night. <laughs> it's crazy. Yeah, the it, finals, it was, it was me like, and yeah, Blueprint at the end. And really I was like. Because Blueprint was in there. Yeah. With Brother Ali in there. Brother in Ali. Loads of- slug. It, and oh, was he in that one? Or it was the next year. I can't remember, but yeah. it was it was like there was some stiff competition. Yeah. But honestly, like most of them were just, I mean, running your mill d- d- underground rappers yeah, who yeah, yeah. you know knew the basics of doing battle stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, they weren't doing. They weren't really like killing it on any level. They weren't turning up with an art of war mindset of I'm I'm dressing in a specific way so that I know what you're then going to attack me right. with. That's you know that's, that's and then the using a name shit, right? that no one can remember. <laughs> yeah, it's like yeah, that, so that's can't. the important stuff. Yeah. Um, but so yeah, I, I wasn't I wasn't committed to it. I, I think I just wasn't committed to the whole battle thing. It was like that was that didn't mean the world to me. That was part of the puzzle. Yeah. You know. So you're right. I think a lot of battle MCs who dedicate too much of themselves, too much of their career, too much of their mindset to the whole battle thing, 
let the more important things go by the wayside. They neglect yeah, everything else because if all you're doing is thinking of how to break somebody down all the time and, and it's not even – they're not even writing things for longevity. They're writing things for – a one-time purpose yeah. that maybe will be funny to watch on YouTube a few times, but there's no replay value there. Exactly. It, it, uh, once you hear it once, you've got that punchline, you've got all the worth out of it. So, right. I mean, sh- surely then there's a lot of of logic in kind of, of going out on top, you know, leaving it with, I mean, in, 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 in <coughs> the, was it in the semis? You had the infamous, a line against brother Ali that kind of, and so again, like when you've hit those kind of peaks, yeah. that kind of makes sense to go, all right, cool. That, oh yeah. That was good enough I'm for out me. Of here. It's yeah. like, Hey, I, you know, I, I proved myself uh, on this front. I'm yeah. going to go prove myself on other fronts. Yeah. But that's because I started as a songwriter. Like I, my passion was in writing songs. Yeah. It wasn't in battling. It wasn't yeah, even yeah, in yeah. freestyling. I liked freestyling. I learned how to do it better and better as years went on. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that helped me a lot in the battles, but I wasn't freestyling to battle. I was freestyling to freestyle. It wasn't to break people down. It was just to open oh. myself up and be like work with uh, the improv element. I, th- I, I think that's a completely lost thing now as well. Of uh, again, it's I mean looking back to um, the first sick of where MCs were freestyling on radio, but not against each other and that's a you don't seem to see or particularly in the uk anyway if it's a freestyle it's a battle it's a battle it's meant to be aggressive it's meant to be insults so i see some i see some people doing it now because when i but i only check i mean not real freestyles i haven't seen real freestyles i see that's another thing the terminologies that just kill (laughs) me now that there's so many different terms that have changed and don't mean the same thing i like freestyle when people like um like uh people will be hyping because Kendrick has got a new freestyle out. You'll right. hear it. That's that's a track. That's right. a song. That's not a free... That's a new... Why are we referring to this as a freestyle? Or even in the battles where they now kind of have time in advance. It'd like intentionally have time to yeah. prepare what they're going to do. They know who like, they're going to battle. They, yeah. they do their research. They they come up... They, they write a whole dissertation about this other guy. And it's... It's interesting in its own way, but it's not like freestyle is interesting in its own way. And, yeah. and that is an art that has been lost. It's just weird that freestyle has just become a term for anything that's kind of not going to be on an album almost. Because it, it had such a it had strong buzz to the word. Yeah. It was like, wow, you can freestyle? Yeah. And then they start applying that word to other things and like, yeah. well, yeah, it's very ambiguous. I, I freestyle. Here's a freestyle. And then, you know, it just is something that's not on an album is yeah. a freestyle. Yeah, that's essentially it. <laughs> so, I can not understand that too because like when I went on the radio, I would do verses that, that were written and uh, they just had no place. So I was like, well, here's something. I don't know what else to do with this. So yeah, I'm just yeah, going to yeah. like record it here and release it. Yeah. But there's actual like, off the top of the head freestyles that comes with a different skill set and to be able to do that and improv with your friends and and that's something i haven't even done in a long time it's like with idea and with well not even because idea and slug and all the like they all freestyle really well yeah um back where i came from on the East Coast, freestyling was not a big thing until 
the battles started kicking off and then it was important to be able to freestyle. Yeah. But like freestyle fellowship and, and the project blowed stuff happening on the West coast. They were, they were way ahead of the curve as far as like improv freestyle goes off the top. And then the Midwest was inspired that by that. And I think the East coast was like the last to catch on to the whole thing (laughs) in, in America. Yeah. We were so behind the curve as far as what freestyles were and and really how to come off. I mean, I always remember just the, the first person I ever heard almost disregarding her freestyles was an interview with Chuck D where he was just saying, no, I put a lot of time and effort right, into it. Yeah. And just so casually, like I'd, I'd always been, I'd started a writing. I was like, shit, I can't freestyle though. It's like, and Chuck just so casually being, no, I've no desire to freestyle. This, this is important to me. I don't just want to kind of, that's the thing, <laughs> which is that, kind of awesome. I was, it, no, it so you salute me. to Chuck D and you know, he's like one of my remaining heroes, yeah. one of the last remaining heroes. And I don't want him to freestyle. I never want to hear a Chuck D freestyle. Yeah, no, definitely. That and I'm inspired by Chuck D. But when I say inspired, like I I can't be Chuck D. Because I I need to be able to say stupid things. I need to yeah, be able to cut yeah, loose. Yeah, 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 yeah. And when you freestyle, you really put yourself out there. Yeah. You really take a risk to say some really stupid shit. Yeah. There's no time to censor <laughs> or hesitate or think about. Yeah. The it, filters kind of go away, yeah. and then all of a sudden you find yourself in the middle of a conversation you didn't ever want to have with yourself. Uh, <laughs> And that that kind of killed freestyling, to be honest, because once camera phones became more popular, yeah. um, people were less willing to put themselves uncomfortable to, to out take there. That risk, You're not yeah. going to see the ciphers because once the cameras come out, someone says stupid in front of a camera. That's the end of their career. Yeah, yeah. You know, they get they get clowned on forever. It's always on YouTube. The internet never forgets, and and that's. That's kind of sad because there were some truly magical moments early on in the mid to late 90s with random ciphers with well-known MCs after their show outside. Like, people clown on it now, like, hey, you want to cipher her? But it was fucking fun. Like, we all just cut loose and bounced ideas off of each other. We, you know, we would follow each other's rhymes up with, you know, we would just build on ideas. Yeah. on the spot, yeah, that was fun shit. But and the beauty of that is, an, is a a unique inspiration point. Like, like you couldn't have gone home and written what you're you know, doing there because you're reacting and they're reacting. It's a reacting jazz session. It's, it's a constant it's, build of. It's just a, it's just like a jazz session, but yeah. it's it's with words. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's awesome. Um, so so obviously you then started to put out out your own stuff, and where was the point that it kind of went crazy? It felt like there was, um atmosphere uh with rhyme sayers and and an lp with deaf jucks and and you with strange frames and that seemed to be the three that really kind of came at the right time i guess and yeah. just kind of represented the important areas of that time for hip-hop yeah i mean everything happened <laughs> i don't know how to explain it because everything we were working with the moment yeah. Each new development, each like figuring out the audiences out there, we were all growing the fan base and sharing a fan base and um, touring. We were building the touring circuits, which had not existed before we did it yeah. in hip hop, yeah. like because the bigger hip hop acts weren't playing the smaller towns that we were rolling through yeah. or even a lot of the bigger cities. Like when they did tours, they weren't frequent. And they were in stadiums and shit like that. Now yeah. we're playing, we're playing mid or small clubs, mid-sized to small-sized clubs in every city we could get to. 
And a lot of us came from bumfuck nowhere like who you know minneapolis rhode island like these are not yeah. major american urban hubs of yeah. activity and um it's crazy realizing things like that because 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 being from the uk you assume that because you know all we could get was like a cd imported every now and then you'd think that that rhode island that that minneapolis these are these the, these 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 birthplaces or these these homes of hip hop and all that, and then you realise when the kind of the world shrunk a bit, and you could get <laughs> yeah. find out where everything is. You're like, right, this is just a small collective of people yeah. that are doing shit that's 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 making some noise, and that's that must have been huge excitement. The fact that, as you said, literally a month ago, you would have only been able to see hip hop in a stadium, and now, you know, it's in your local in in some dive club or it's, in every, it's in every crevice it's, yeah. it's everywhere it's, yeah. which for better or worse really yeah of course um but i forget before you mentioned the stadium i was like oh, i'm gonna talk about that i forgot forget um so, so yeah you kind of you built the circuits and and how was that to kind of find your way around i guess at that in those early days actually all right now i remember what i was gonna skip <laughs> the internet Okay, yeah. we can't skip that. Yeah, Once yeah, yeah. that it just was crucial to these small areas that now we're able to show support and be connected to yeah. um hip hop they were interested in. Yeah. Which did not exist before. All yeah. you heard from was people on in New York or in California, maybe Detroit, but it was it and, was And how was it getting out on the end there? Was it forums or that? Because it was kind of just before MySpace, I guess at first. Yeah, initially, before before so. before MySpace, it was it was forums. Yeah. There was there was the underground hip hop forum, which is still going now, and yeah. it's still got the same like stupid bunch of people saying stupid shit. But it's still it's funny. Like I still will go on there from time to time and like look at what they're yeah, all yeah, writing. Yeah, like, yeah. damn, this is some like dinosaur shit that still exists. Yeah, we still have, I still have my forum. My forum was one of the more active hip hop forums yeah, online. Sure. It's not anymore. Like most people have gone on to like the millions of other social networks that exist. Yeah, of course. But um, that was that was crucial. My forum was actually crucial early on for me to connect with people outside of my my local or uh, vicinity, so that I could sell stuff to them. What I would do is I, you know, we would host the forum. We would have the conversations there we would talk about music i would talk a lot of shit people would get upset but some people would love it but yeah. whatever um and then i would offer a list of my stuff that i'm selling and i told people send me cash fold it you know, like conceal it and print out this sheet and circle the stuff you want me to send you that's crazy uh, yeah and and like surprisingly enough a whole lot of fucking people sent me cash in the mail yeah. and I sent them all their product. And that's how we built our web store. And that's how we built the a trusting relationship between me and the fan base early on yeah. where they helped build strange, famous records as not just a label, but as a web store. Yeah. yeah so yeah. yeah, that was, and that all started from the forum. And yeah, that's, that's crazy to think of people. I mean, the fact, the way people are now with the internet, the fact that people are, r are reluctant to put, a credit card details in because they're so scared. Mm. So the fact that people were willing to put cash in an envelope 
and write, can you send me this CD, please? Yeah, then that's kind of awesome. It's a great a, a leap of faith, but that's got to be why... I mean, again, another thing the Strange Famous, and hip, I guess underground hip-hop in general is known for, is the dedication <clears throat> of the fans and the loyalty and the passion that they've got in it. And that's got to be the starting point of that, that, that trusting relationship directly between a you and them, not between the a big record label or Tower Records or HMV yeah. or whoever, that direct relationship of trust. Well, if I had put thing. myself out there as the, the kind of guy who was interested in just making a buck mm. and say, fuck you yeah it wouldn't have happened yeah, yeah, uh, you yeah. know that wasn't my essence that wasn't that wasn't what we represented yeah, and yeah, yeah. i wouldn't be able to continue on i think that was one of the selling points i had to them i was like how would i keep going if i was screwing so many people over yeah. it's like trust the system send me the money i'll send you the product that's that that's it and that's that's yeah. how we built it um i wouldn't do it with a lot of other artists and in fact that's why, like, when I see certain artists throwing fundraisers for themselves and I'm like, and I see what they're offering or, or what they intend to do with the money, I just shake my head. I was like, I wish, I wish people knew how full of shit this is. Yeah. Does, does that, does Kickstarter and all that kind of make you kind of almost angry in a way? Because I, I mean, I've always felt that, again, similar to you, like my Kickstarter was working in a shop for five years and saving up my money to be able to put out this one first record and actually be able to take a chance on that rather than hey guys i want to record a record can you all pay for it for me and yeah. then well i think uh, it's, it's tough to say it depends who the artist is it mm. depends what they're going to do with the money it depends, it depends on the project as well i've how seen they're some for be- music videos and for you know for more diverse areas and that makes sense but, but- most most of the, the thing is I mean, I just wish these websites had offered the uh, ability for people to post counter arguments to why you, people shouldn't yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. send money to these artists. Because yeah. sometimes, like I, like, I know some artists who have thrown fundraisers, and I'm like, yo, this is a scheme. Like, yeah. these motherfuckers are getting, like, taken for their money. Yeah. It's not yeah. cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And... I also I've I've held off on it because I I did speak out against Kickstarter early on because I just saw so many people people being lazy and being like, oh cool I can get free money okay yeah hey, I think guys I, I want to do this it's and- a case a case by case thing because I'm exactly the same there was initially a lot I didn't like but there's no doubt that I've seen Kickstarter projects that I think are fucking awesome and the fact that the technology allows all of these people to come together to to make something that people want is yeah. is a great thing that wouldn't exist otherwise. Yeah, that's, no, that's there's definitely amazing. cool elements to it. I, I can't say overall it's it's horrible, yeah. but I see it being abused and yeah. you best believe that there are musicians and artists, quote unquote, yeah. who will abuse the shit out of these kind of things as, as long as they exist. Yeah. So, I don't know, be vigilant, be aware yeah. uh, of... As much as possible and be careful who you give your money to and, and what you expect out of it. Because there's artists out there who invested in themselves who probably deserve your money just as much as they do. Yeah, you know, and, and support someone who's actually put their own ass on the line to have a project available. Uh, not just people who say, I can't get this to you until you pay me. You yeah. know? So, I don't yeah. know. No, I get that. Um, so, so where when was the point that you kind of decided you wanted to put other people's music out and to kind of put the experiences that you'd yeah, I had think and gained was, to, 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 <laughs> to, to, 
just in in the hands of others, essentially. Yeah, be- I probably shouldn't have never done it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> in retrospect, I'm like, oh man, I really created a lot of work and and bad times for myself doing this. Yeah, but um, it was easy going early on. I mean, we had we had found our fan base. We had carved that niche and. Um, I developed the infrastructure for a, for a label, yeah. and re- and I was just using it for myself. And then I was like, I had friends, I had um, DJs and MCs who could benefit from what I had already yeah. figured out. So I said, all right, well, let's do this. Let's do it on a, an official level. We'll do call it Strange Famous Records. Yeah. Um, well, I was already using that name, but it was just like we had the logo then, yeah, and then yeah, we're yeah, like, yeah. make this an official business. I'll start putting out other people's records with the infrastructure that we've already developed, and let's try to build a staff. And I don't know. I didn't know. I was still. I'm still making it up as yeah, I go. Yeah. Um, I hating like life in the process but we yeah. put out some really cool shit it's kind so. of a, a beautiful it, like so many innocent people, ignorance i guess as you like yeah, it's such a thankless cool job a record out, it's, it's realize, really a thankless job yeah. like that's my issue like you can't go from being an mc who celebrated on stage and then working 10 times harder as a as a as a label owner yes and just getting hated on when things don't go awesome for everybody yeah. you it's know? kind of crazy that it's it's it feels so different, and in, in equally, it has its own 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 different set of rewards. But when you're putting all that work in and all that effort that you've learned in for someone that isn't you, it's kind of an interesting one. I said because you know the, it is also a, a buzz. It is is also an exciting thing to see yeah. to go right. I've, all the stuff I've learned is now helping these guys to get this this push or this pop or whatever. But does that last as long as when it's like, oh, it's helping me tour and do well, what I'm meant to be doing rather than what I'm doing for you guys? Kind of right, thing. right. And after the four-year hiatus that I was on, yeah. I have to stop yeah. touring, when I realized, wow, I'm still just dedicating so much of my time and energy yeah. to other people's projects when I'm neglecting my own. Like, you, what am I you've doing? You've essentially taken a hiatus from earning money yourself. Yeah, and I took... You're still I, doing the same amount of work. It's so dumb, because I took myself out of how the label came to be in the first place. Yeah. It was me. I built the label with my music, with, with my work. Yeah, and that makes sense my creations and then I stopped doing that so I could help other people make records but I'd rather just do my own stuff I'd rather just focus on projects that I've 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 put on the back burner for the past 10 years Um, and that's why when Copper Gone came out I just was like I have to I have to hit on all levels with this one I'm gonna hit hard like coming out punching with this one and again, it was like some of these songs started getting written 10 years ago or the concepts were there. It's yeah. like all my records always kind of there's a few songs that I will dip far back in the in the song pan yeah. and pull out these ideas that have been incubating and like finally get to use this because yeah, the yeah, right beat came along. And yeah. And I, and I said 2014. Like, we're going to keep running the label, but all my focus has to be on me. And that's why I was like, I'm going to tour and I'm going to tour through the whole year. I don't care. Like, I'm going to, I stopped touring and now I'm just going to tour. I I have to like balance my life now because I I have to be in a hermit. Now I have to be in, in front of a different crowd every night until. All over the world. Yeah. That's it. That's craziness. (laughs) I don't know. Um, How was the brief time, uh, or not, not brief time. How was the experience on Epitaph compared to. 
um, obviously doing everything yourself. Did did you have a similar doing it yourself, but plugging into other people, or, or you did know they what? want more control? It's of- crazy that. I was really stressed about it. I was very anxious because yeah. um, I had worked with them in the last three records. They have a huge staff. They have much greater outreach than I have. Yeah, sure. So I was like, how am I going to match that? But I knew that for most of, like, at least the last two records, most of the work that was done, I did. Yeah. <clears throat> um, most of the outreach came from me. It was just was like so much of it was happening through my own channels, yeah. not theirs. They had the distribution. Sure. Um, maybe they hit up a lot of their channels for promotion, but I never like really saw results of that. Yeah. So on this time through, I was fairly confident I could do at least as good as them. Yeah. Yeah. Just by focusing all my energy on it and having and hiring the people I hired, like, for the stuff I didn't have time to do for yeah. pu- for publicity, which I I still don't even know if it was worth that. I'm still trying to figure out if a publicist is worth their weight in gold. Yeah. <laughs> you know? it's, it's a weird thing. I mean, to think there's there's something I've kind of it, it sounds odd, but I think f- for me there was a lot of worth um, when I kind of not stopped being ambitious but realized that what I'm doing is what I'm doing so I found that when I was with another label the idea was right I've got my fan base but I want this to be far bigger and we need to reach all these people rather than thinking let's reach the people we've got and then let it spread kind of naturally do you think is there something in that and and did you feel that when returning to just your own label that you're kind of obviously you're still trying to push out and grow but you've got something there already so the essential thing is cultivating that and yeah and- well by man it's tough to say because by the time i worked with epitaph my career was at its peak it was like yeah things had gotten so huge at that point and they benefited from that like yeah, yeah. i had already built the fan base i'd already toured multiple times there, I, yeah. you know yeah it was all there um, what they had was distribution. They had major label distribution, and I was able to get into chain stores, which are less and less important these days. Yeah, of course. Um, so all, again, like we mentioned, the rules and in the industry changes so frequently and so rapidly. So at that point, it was it was probably a key thing that allowed you a, a little more time to concentrate on on yourself, <clears throat> on your side of it, rather than the, the, the label side of it. But yeah the main thing added kind of isn't yeah. there now. So it's a perfect yeah, to time carry, to go to, back to. So by this third record with them, I was like, I wish I was doing this by myself. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like I already know what to do. Yeah. So I was, I was very excited for Copper Gone to be on Strange Famous, which would be the first studio album we released or debuted because personal journals was, um, we also put that out, but we didn't debut it. It right. wasn't, it didn't come out on our label. But after five years, I regained ownership of it. Now we have it. Right. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. Copper Gone was the first one that we birthed proper through the indie label, and we hit the Billboard top two hundred yeah, against all odds. To tell you the truth, I kind of like could not fucking believe that. Yeah. You know, we saw those it's, kind of numbers. It's crazy as, as well to realize that because it, it, I think Strange Famous as a label has got s- such an identity that, as you said, is comes primarily from your, or initially from your music, from your art. So it's crazy to know that Copper Gone was the first st- 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 
studio album to, yeah. to actually debut and to officially come from there because you I think of all of the albums as being that but obviously it wasn't it was just yeah well, maybe another it. one did break the Billboard 200 I, yeah. I I was told that one of the previous records did I, I actually don't remember it didn't matter to me until we did it yeah, on, exactly. on, on Strange Famous yeah. Um, yeah to get the, the, the iTunes top five in the US and in the UK yeah, yeah, yeah. so we at that point we i think we all collectively breathed a sigh of relief yeah we're like Whew. like we didn't fuck this up yeah there's so many things that could have gone wrong we overcame a lot of obstacles in the process especially just last minute details of of me getting the record done in time and and having it manufactured in time yeah. i was i was just overcoming a like major chest inf- infection while recording the record i'm like yeah, thinking i can't get this done i just like physically cannot do this yeah and um working on the artwork uh yeah. with Irena and and inky mole and they just came through in the clutch i didn't reach out to them they actually it was an organic process where it's perfect when yeah it they just were like hey what's going on with this record you know and i was like man i and i, I think i told them straight up i was like i don't know what i'm gonna do like I have, I'm focusing on my songs right now. I'm focusing on, on recording uh, and everything I, else. The artwork is such an important together. part of it. Yeah. And I was like, you guys are going to save my life if you dedicate yourself to this. And yeah. they did. And it's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Thankfully, just so many elements came together at the right time, at the last minute, at the 11th hour, yeah. right up until it was all delivered to us. Yeah. And the vinyl wasn't even delivered on time. That came late after the tour was over. But hell, we at least we had our CDs and stuff and ready to go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So just everything just coming together to stop it being um, a B Dolan record with a a rolling release date that never never (laughs) seems to come and just keeps being pushed back and back. I see you fool. Finish that record. Um, Epic beard man. So. So what's the plan next? Obviously, uh, I mean, initially, I'd imagine you can't see much past uh, this tour. I mean, it's crazy that you're on this tour and still adding dates to this tour. That's how far into the future this is going. Yeah. But now that we're in, we're in the UK, we're going to do the rest of Europe after this, end up on in Eastern Europe, then to Australia, to New Zealand, to South Korea, to Japan. Maybe I'll do Hawaii, but then we do the West Coast of America. And I think I'm going to go home after that. But, um, I have to, yeah, I have to. Um, we, we need to just, as you're mentioning that there, I think we need to touch on something that is one of the most misunderstood things from fans is, can we talk a little bit about how tours work and how bookings work? And it's not <laughs> for, that you don't go somewhere because you fucking hate it. You go where the bookings are and you have to yeah. have the promoters and everything. Because, again, it's easy for us as artists to get annoyed that any time you post a tour, people are complaining about where you're not going. But I think we've also got to understand that the fan base don't, have the intricate experience of touring that that we have as artists so don't know like just think oh he's not he's not coming to my town so yeah kind of explain how you've booked this tour and how personal it is and how you're you're literally organizing every angle of it and yeah well i can understand being upset when artists don't roll through i'm from rhode island it was like we weren't a hip-hop hub yeah we either had to go to new york or boston to check out a show yeah but nowadays when I booked this tour, I told I have a booking agency. Yeah. It's one of the few things that I outsource um, tasks yeah. to, and I, booking is such a difficult and tedious yeah, and time-consuming thing. Um, 
and I told them I will play anywhere. Like I'm ready to go wherever you like. Obviously, we want to play our major markets, but I'm down to play B and C markets, whatever. But the offers have to come in. Yeah, People have yeah. to approach you for that. So and- the promoters. You know, we can only reach out to so many people. Yeah. And we can only play so many shows in a certain amount of time. And yeah. I played as many as I possibly could in, in America over the course of uh seven weeks. And still there were people complaining and still on off days, like on the rare occasion we'd have an off day, they'd be like, you're rolling through Toledo. Why don't you play here? Yeah. I'm like, well, first of all, we weren't given an offer for Toledo and we booked these tours four months ahead of time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But like, I can't play 10 shows in a row. I actually like, I'm a human being. I'm not a, not a machine motherfucker. Like such a weird drive, drive 400 miles like we are to the next show. I don't know. It's that distancing of not realizing that these, that this artist that you only experience through a CD or through maybe social networking as well is a human that has to try and do this. (laughs) And if you were in your job and had to do two weeks in a row, with no day off that might happen but you might not physically be able to do a good job and it's important for artists who who value the live performance and and the audience right. to be able to turn up and do a good show yeah we're not just we're not just doing uh i don't know we're not just moonwalking across the stage and that's it yeah. or doing ta-da-da-da yeah. i'm done it's like we're doing an hour and a half on stage we're traveling very long yeah. you know distances to get from place to place it all takes its toll on you and yeah, i like i'm I, i'm more and more aware of that as as i get older i've i've risked losing my voice forever i've i've been through like major health scares during the course of my career and i'm still pushing my limits yeah. i'm you know i'm i'm not taking it easy i'm actually still pushing the limits of what of a human is capable of doing especially at my weight <laughs> you know, so, um, and you put out an energetic and engaging sh- yeah, show. Again, I don't. I don't. It slack. feels like you, it, it's evident that you were dragged to those hardcore gigs, and you were dragged to this and that because it's not just a rap show where it's just a dude standing there yeah. and going through the songs. It's a give them the full experience. Yeah. Give them the full experience. Give a full roller coaster ride and have people with mixed emotions by the end of the set. Yeah, that's the task. But booking in the u.s was through my agency group i still booked a few shows on my own when i was able to um they booked the uk but i booked certain shows here yeah i booked like they i think in all let's see 30 30 60 i think they booked about 70 shows in all and then i picked up the rest and yeah. now i'm i've been booking everywhere else because i think i burned them out yeah because i yeah. told them guys i want to play australia i want to play new zealand i want to go to japan can and you get like, me dude. there and they're like dude no like, yeah. <laughs> like we're done for now okay yeah, yeah. <laughs> so i was like all right fine so then i i had to i've actually done research on my own because i've done i mean man I go back booking shows. So to find the right people or to take a a chance or risks with people I don't even know, just so I can go to a certain territory, maybe get paid. Yeah. Maybe it'll be a promoted show. We, we, we take our risks, but we want to like get to all territories where there's fans. And I'm still down to play places I've never been because I've never been to South Korea. If, If I have fans out there or I'm able to like put on a performance that they enjoy, that's incredible. Yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm yeah. still inspired by that. Yeah. So that's that's my 
goal right now, but I'm still like, if we don't have Wi-Fi in a hotel, I can't get the shit done. So yeah. it's a major pain. It's that weird balance dig. of being dedicated to being constantly on the road. And as said, you're adding dates still as you go along, but you're, you're never home. You're, you're not home for three, four months now. So, you know, there's, there's, totally there's limitations. Zone. Yeah. There's limitations. Well, we've done about an hour and 10 minutes now. So that seems like a good time to, uh, to take a pee break to come back do a raps <laughs> we can come back and do raps we can do what we want is there anything you want to kind of let people i mean i kind of interrupted you before saying what's next and what's oh what's yeah your plan? Well, is, is there more records is i there just more? i'm trying to survive 2014 that was that's like, the key goal my yeah my resolution uh, uh new year's was live through the year yeah and then figure out what you're gonna do so i'm gonna make it through this year i'm um, I'm building up ideas in my head on what kind of project I want to do next. I know people were very excited. I went back to a more hip hop sound with yeah. Copper Gone, and that's my, you know, those are my roots. That's that's my source. I love going there, and that's my sound. How's that that been over your career? The kind of because you've gone from the more spoken word side to the hip hop, and and I always remember Nonprofits was very much a statement of. I want to do a rap album. Yeah, that I was my. Do, I wanted to do know. at least one project that showed my full like love, um, and I guess adoration of the yeah. music I adored growing up. Just a big salute. So that was that. Yeah, you know, and that those when I do those kind of songs, it's definitely a, a tip of the hat to the artist that yeah, inspired me and kept me, you know, excited and interested in, in being involved in hip hop when I was a kid. Yeah, but I can't because if people ask me when's the next nonprofit's coming out or when is it, you know when are you going to do more stuff like that. Yeah. Like I think Copper Gone is pretty close as far as like the energy is concerned. Completely. I mean, and, I think that's what the approach. That's one of the things that excited me the most about Copper Gone was, I think of all the albums, it's the one that trod both paths the most comfortably. Like there's tracks where you're just putting people to shame, flow, and you know it's it's straight hip hop tracks. But then there's also some of easily some of the most personal or emotional yeah. stuff you've ever put out there. And do you think that's just a result of Again, as we keep saying, all the years of experience of going, right, I can do, yeah, I can I, tread these, I don't have to have a secret spoken word persona and a secret right. a battling persona. These are, these are one and the same. Yeah, to, to have them all work together, I don't, th- you know, you can't be happy if you're never sad. You yeah. know, like you have to, for them to have their full impact, you have to show different sides of, of who you are as a person and, or as an artist. And if you're able to mesh them all together on one project, then that's, that's what makes a better project as far as I'm yeah. concerned. Um, so that was a goal. And that's why I'll never do another thing where it's just, if I already did it, I don't want to do it again. Yeah. Yeah. Of course. You know, if, if, if I It's did a weird the, thing for fans to be able to get their heads around because they'll have a particular album they're falling in love right. with and they will want a and carbon I've done that copy too. of that album. I've done that too. Yeah. I, I feel that way about artists all the time. So yeah. I understand it. And maybe that's what gets me more upset when people bring that shit to me. Cause I'm like, I understand it. Yeah. Why don't you? Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I know what you want and I understand why you want it, but why don't you understand why it's not possible? Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's weird as well. I think particularly with, uh, when people will build so, so much of an image of who Sage Francis is from, from one collection of songs, when in reality, that's 
a little outtake of who of who you are kind of thing. True. So they will then build their idea of who Sage Francis is as then when you put out a record that doesn't match the the fictional person that they've invented in their head. Yeah, it's that kind segment of a, a, a person a that for them. was like, developed well, out of... Yeah, sure. Yeah. And another thing people need to realize is that if you fell in love with an album I made 15 years ago or yeah. 10 years ago, think of who you were 10 years Hopefully ago. Hopefully you've changed. And de- yeah, and you developed. have to change through time. I have to change through time. And yeah. that doesn't mean I have to get whacker. That doesn't mean I have to like um, loosen the reins as far as quality control and stuff. I still need to pay attention to that, but I yeah. can't do the same exact type of songs yeah. that I did back then. Ex- expecting you to be the same person that they had a 60-minute conversation with 15 years ago essentially which is essentially what the, yeah. them listening to your album is it's like you've had they've had 60 minutes of your time we'll have then, our yeah, highs and lows like, I like the I like my relationship with my fans though because it's been like even I think I don't know man I'm glad I did Copper Gone and with the style that Copper Gone is because now like people are kind of coming out of the shadows like yeah those last two albums kind of whack but Copper Gone yeah man that shit's dope it's the weird backhanded <laughs> compliments right yeah yeah of, I'm like you know, I don't want to love those last two. What the <laughs> fuck is this? What, where's this coming from? <laughs> but I understand why they like Copper Gone, but they don't like life. Yeah, like, I yeah. know why I can, it doesn't confuse me. That's the thing. Yeah, yeah. But for them to not understand, like, why that's not cool to say, because it's like, I know that style wasn't your preference, preference, yeah. and I know why this style was, but yeah. I don't like. Tell I don't eat dinner at your mom's house and tell her why I think her her mashed potatoes are dry and horrible, yeah. but the chicken's okay. Yeah, you know, I don't yeah. know. It's yeah. like yeah, no, completely. Just just be grateful. You got something you that enhanced your life somehow. If it, if it did, yeah. <laughs> really, there was a really interesting article recently that um, a Tully Quali wrote about um, about. Lauren Hill and and some of the mixed reactions to her live show and he was kind of essentially just saying that people have a weird feeling of entitlement that oh they do you owe them the record that they want rather than they're getting the chance to have a glimpse into your psyche or to experience what you wish to express at that time yet the way it's flipped now is they feel I've paid this therefore you're my servant in a way you right. know you're you're meant to give me it's like it, it well, was really interestingly written on how it's saying well no what you're buying is yeah an insight into what they want to give you at that point if if, if at this yeah, show there's a fair exchange once you buy the record and and you you know you enjoy the record that's yeah. that's the end of that exchange yeah but the thing that talib kwali was talking about and i i, I read the article yeah. and i think i disagree with you a bit about it because People were complaining that her concerts, yeah. Lauren Hill's concerts, were she was coming late to the shows. She yep. wasn't like putting on a very good performance. And then most deaf, yeah, I mean, the late, would say that a late oh, to the show part I can never stand. I think that's yeah. But just it just shows yeah, they weren't really taking things seriously enough right, for people yeah, who paid yeah, yeah. so much money to see them live. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I know that I've seen people do that. I've seen them do that. Yeah, and and. I did, it did offend me yeah. and I didn't even pay for a ticket, yeah. you know? So it's different. I can understand if someone feels slighted for paying for a show that they feel like the performer gave a lousy performance at. In fact, and I've, 
just recently I played this podunk town called Sligo Ireland yeah. <laughs> <laughs> with Let's some very Sligo. cool fans, but yeah. there was a couple that didn't like what I was doing because I wouldn't let them film me. Yeah, and they felt entitled to film my show just because they paid to come into the show. It's the crazy, and that's not what it's about, right? It's not- yeah, and I asked them. I said, "No, please, you know, I don't want you holding the camera up in my face while I'm performing this whole time." It, yeah. it actually, like, I don't know what everyone else feels about it, but. It actually affects my performance. Yeah. It does. Like, to be very honest, it affects my performance and and it fucks with my head and it's all I can think about. And then I start fucking up lines and shit. Yeah. Especially when it's not a huge crowd. We're in like the middle of nowhere and there's a very small crowd. Smallest crowd of the store. Pissed me off. You'd gone somewhere that you were asked to go. Therefore, you went. So, again, it it lends to that ethic of. So then they wanted their money back at the end of the show. And, um,. I hope they got it. Yeah. <laughs> you know, cause I didn't want them, it's if crazy. they were upset with that, then, you know, I, I still gave as good of a performance as I would have if it was a thousand people. Yeah. And I always have done that. You know, yeah. you have to work with the room. You have to work with the energy. Yeah, you have to course. like, know what's, what is, uh, what's the word? Like appropriate yeah. for your surroundings. Like I'm not going to, put on a stadium performance when there's just like five people there like acting like this yeah yeah you would that make it but you make it as good of a performance as possible what the environment dictates and i did that and um yeah sometimes there's just no pleasing some people so i don't know we got into this this i don't know how we took this (laughs) detour but i did because i did read the thing was i read the the this the thing against lauren hill and then i read talib Kweli's defense of her i saw both sides but i still think i've seen so many hip-hop artists just shit on the crowd yeah and put put on a piss poor performance and think just because i'm here that should be good enough for you yeah completely and you're an really you're an entertainer and we're entertainers i think hip-hop for a long long time was was, i I, I think it took hip-hop again from my limited experience of of live hip-hop because we didn't get as much in the uk obviously as you would have got but i think it took hip-hop a long time to learn to put on a live show i think for a long time it was especially new york artists are killing it in a studio or know what they're doing there but don't know how to be on stage so at the risk of getting beat up at a show i'm gonna say especially new york artists they put on very drab shows very Run of the mill, hold the mic, maybe like sway back and forth, and yeah. and that was that. Yeah. And then when we saw other people like put on full productions, or yeah. like, it's okay, like, yeah, <laughs> like hip hop really go. is is more of a recorded medium. Rap yeah. is more of a recorded medium, but to learn how to make it into a live thing. Well, I guess what's funny is early on it was the MC that was supposed to get the crowd hype, but then as as roles changed, where the MC became more of the like. The where the DJ used to be the, the main star. act, yeah, 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 yeah. Then it became the MC, and then the, somehow they forgot to how they to rock a crowd. To hide. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's bizarre when the attention was on them, but they kind of forgot that. But yeah, I think it's interesting. I think you touch on, on on something great there of the the how each 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 experience you pay for is a unique thing. So when you've bought the record, that's you've got that in that. That exchange is over. It's always interests me the argument uh, for illegal downloading, which is a whole whole different world with many different angles. But when people say, "I come to the shows though," and so we we'll, we put our lives into them shows, what 
what you're paying for for a ticket i personally feel you're getting value for in the show i don't think you'd necessarily should get a free album like that doesn't make up for a stolen album and again i'm not saying you can't people are going to illegally download it can build it can there's tons of different scenarios and stories there but i hate the justification of but i come to live shows it's like yeah and we keep our ticket prices as low as we can and we yeah, we don't price gouge leave everything out yeah. there so that, you know, you are getting the value for the ticket. Well, maybe there they're wasn't... saying I wouldn't even come to the show if I didn't know yeah, yeah. download your record. Yeah. I, I can understand that, but I, I don't know, man. I, I still come from an era where people would, when, when Napster was big, the first time it, you know, when it blew up yeah. right out of the gate, people would come to my shows and hand me $100 bills yeah. and be like, I downloaded all your shit. And here's I owe you money. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> you don't yeah, really, yeah. And it was a common thing. That was yeah, that was crazy. a common thing. People were accustomed to paying for music that they enjoyed, and I think they saw the relation between supporting an artist financially and them being able to continue to make yeah. more music that they enjoy. Yeah. And I don't think people are making that connection as much anymore because there's just so much that they're able to download. Yeah. It all becomes disposable. Completely. And they, they lose the sight of what the value is for stuff that is actually really good. And yeah. where a lot of time, money, energy, creativity went into creating that that thing so but i think that's again that's that's something that i think you can be proud of the fact that all your blood sweat and tears into strange famous has has paid off with in that you've got a fan base for the most part that are still willing to support and want to support even if they're waiting to buy the record at the show like i've had a, a lot of people i've been doing the merch on this run a lot of people saying i legally downloaded it but I'm buying it now because I wanted to buy it at the show. I know that I can get, I want to get Satius signed. I want to have that personal interaction there. Yeah. So it's kind of good that you've still got, you know, f- through that, through the, the trust built when people are sending <clears> you <throat> money in the post. Yeah. Yeah. You kind well, of, those are there, but there's also, still- there's so many places we can never play where people live when like, oh, I'll get it when they come through. Yeah. I'll buy it when it comes. Yeah. Through. We can't go everywhere. We can't we- go everywhere. Yeah. No, that's a great <laughs> and- point. And we can't play your place if there's no history of sales because then there's no proof of support in your yeah. area. It's that- easy to tweet someone saying, oh, we love you here. It's like, well, a, a booking agent doesn't know that. I can't present a, a booking agent with, yeah. I've had five tweets about this. <laughs> How many records have you sold there? I've not sold any, but I've had five <laughs> tweets that yeah. says there's a lot of people there. It's like, well... Yeah, once we gotta figure this out. Something maybe I mean, even we're talking now about downloads, but everything's moving towards streaming. Yeah. And that's even more of a pain in the ass for us because then we lose a lot of direct contact with fans and the money's also worse that that way. Um and and people think they're supporting you because they're paying for that service or they're hearing ads and they, they assume you're, yeah. you know, when, oh, I'm, I'm going to listen to this album and then the artist is going to like see compensation for it. It's not really how it works, but they're made to feel like that is how it works. Spotify is the one for me that I think if people had more awareness of how the deals work there, then they, yeah, for me, it's conscience, it's conscience relief. Exactly. Spotify for me is conscience relief. Whereas if they knew that, Spotify doesn't, and I'm not just sh- 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 shitting on Spotify here, but Spotify doesn't even have a set paper plays. It's like if, say, a One Direction have an album out that month, 
then you will get paid less for the plays that you get that week because it's a percentage thing on overall plays and shit like that. There's so many just fucked up weird intricacies that people don't yeah. realise. But as you said, they've just had to sit for an advert. So they therefore think that you're getting that direct money, which, yeah. yeah is And it, everything's going in that direction. So I don't know what we're going to have to it's do to change as, it. As I, I had... Uh, Zane Lowe on um, a few weeks back and I was talking to him beforehand and he was discussing where he thinks it's going because there's an interesting thing that's been happening with essentially crowdsourcing and crowdfunding but for for gigs and apparently <clears throat> Foo Fighters did it recently and it's again it's that same thing of Radiohead doing an album right. for free it's easy for a, a big actor. I hate that shit. <laughs> yeah but, but, but they did something where again they enough people had to chip into this this crowdfunding thing and then they did a gig you know they earned more than than they would have earned through an agency or through this or that so again he was just discussing how if the systems were built up and and, and set up enough there would be if you know a tour is coming up then people can bid and then every place that has do you know what I mean you'll literally go to where the highest demand is which is kind of a fair way of doing it, right? If if there was some way of saying, if you all for ple- one, pledge here, but then, yeah. I don't know for a full... I, I'm having trouble imagining how the logistics would work for a full tour. I can yeah. see that working for one-offs yeah. from time to time. We're like, I'll either play Chicago... Yeah. Or Cincinnati, you know, like yeah, yeah, yeah. who's gonna who's gonna outbid the other city? Yeah, yeah, something. But I don't know. But, like, but, to, but then to, it turns into some weird. It feels like you're putting the gigs on eBay in, instead of yeah. selling them from your web store. If you well, know, to know I mean, how, that weird how thing. full bookings work out for 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 full runs, yeah. and, and had to plan the ahead of time to get the, the, the dates, the, and, yeah, the the avails and everything. Else. I'm interested in seeing how that works out. Like, if someone has a plan for that, that's yeah. pretty incredible. But to to even reach the fans who would need to know to support, you need promoters. Yeah, yeah. Because it doesn't matter what we post on social networks; only a few percentage of our fans ever see that. Yeah. Completely. So you need the local uh, support base and the people who can uh, reach out to, you know, has the outreach to that local yeah. support in, in any city. And those are promoters. Yeah, yeah, of course. So, and if they, if they do the job well. I, honestly, like, I've ran across so many in the States where they rely on Facebook event pages yeah. now. And they're strictly doing social media. And I'm like, are you kidding me? Like, we do that. We're, we can do that. Yeah. But you need part. to get on the street. You yeah. need to get into the pubs. You need to get into the cafes. Yeah. <laughs> you know, hit up the regular spots that we used to, and we would actually create posters. Remember when people designed real yeah. posters yeah. to to promote I mean, it's a show? Crazy that people remember forget, what it was to be a promoter. I forget the basics now. There's there's a a record store in Kingston called a Banquet Records, and Kingston isn't in in London isn't particularly a huge thriving area, but. They've built a scene because they've got a record store that recommends stuff, and, yeah. and kids come in and will ask a what to get. And it's amazing how much of an impact that can have, and how much that is still relevant. Because people s- seem to think that that's all dead, but yeah, there's still the ground, the ground level pr- pr- promotion stuff that can work and, we and develop. Paste, we paste the whole bridge. Yeah, yeah. Put exactly. my face, you know, put my face up on Macy's sign or something it's covering know. it it's putting it out there but um yeah i mean i think at the end of the day i mean again like, we will wrap up now but i just think it's exciting 
to see where it's all going to go as as artist and as label to see where it develops and kind of what's next yeah exciting slash scary we'll see what happens <laughs> see you next year homie right we're going to end this up and go and try and make the wi-fi work at the um a 100 hotel in cardiff <laughs> shout out to your whack wi-fi apparently it's virgin so f- fuck those guys um <laughs> <laughs> thank you very much for coming on and chatting sir thanks for having me peace out boom That was Sage Francis on the Fifth Distraction Pieces podcast. Thank you very much for tuning in and keeping us at the tops of the charts and all that and subscribing. Keep subscribing. Um, Yeah, do keep subscribing because next week's guest is a great one. Um, I need to... tell you about this it's a guy called simon singh um and i'm aware that some of my followers or listeners won't know who simon singh is but he's a mathematician and scientist and generally amazing guy um i first saw him at a gig i did with robin ince and professor brian cox um he's a fascinating dude and we recorded the podcast uh earlier and just some of the stuff he discusses and describes is just amazing it's what makes me excited about these podcasts is that there's certain people on here like russell brand or zane Lowe or whoever at the start that you will have heard of and you will enjoy but hopefully you'll keep subscribing and, and listening and there'll be some you haven't heard of but then you learn about and it's fascinating we he brought in an enigma machine so from world war Two, and talks us through how the enigma machine worked and how the enigma code was cracked by turing um we talk about different medicines. Uh, we talk about different mathematical theories, code breaking, all sorts of amazing stuff. So, yeah, tune into that one. Subscribe now. If you've got any guests you'd like to request or any questions, hit me up at, at ScroobiusPip on Instagram or Twitter and Facebook.com slash ScroobiusPip. So, yeah, subscribe now and thank you for keep spreading the word. Please p- push it out there it blows my mind that we're that we're climbing them charts and being involved with the big boys up there so thank you very much for listening until next week this is the distraction pieces podcast see you later